welcome to another exciting podcast from Sydney Life Church. And now, here's Pastor Tom Ingalls. I've got a few things I want to um, cover, but I just, um, I just need to share this with you because it's so profound. It's so wonderful. God's Word is so amazing. And um, would you go there, because I, I won't be able to share with you a Christmas message. I'm going to give you a five-minute one. And then I want to get into this last teaching on this confronting the unknown. But would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter, um, Luke chapter, let me just find it now, I've lost my notes. Luke chapter, yeah, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Because people get the wrong impression about the whole Christmas thing and how it happened and, and stuff, you know. But I'll just share this with you so quickly because it's so profound. I was so impacted by this this week. And so there they are, you know, Mary's going to have Jesus. And uh, um, it says there in verse 4, chapter 2, And so Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. It had to be Bethlehem, by the way, and this is the point I want to make. Bethlehem is a a real special, special place. And it had to be, uh, the reference was there uh, um, to the city of David, that's where David was born. So David was born in Bethlehem, and Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, he was of the lineage of David. He came from the house of David. So it, it all had to be there. And it, and it says there, um, verse 8, oh, well, well, we'll read the rest. We'll go to verse 5. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Amen. Verse 8, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the, in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, and you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, mentioned twice, lying in a manger. I'm going to highlight a few things here that are really profound. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, etc., etc., etc. So let me just tell you some incredible things that was going on here. It had to be Bethlehem because that's where David was born. And he came from the lineage, Jesus came from the lineage of David. And it says there, it says there, um, let me just get it. Uh, There were shepherds in the same country living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. This is what I want to get to because it's just incredible. God's detail. And when I explain this to you, I want you to take this for yourself. This is the kind of detail that God thinks about before he even brings you into the world. But, you know, it says that the shepherds were watching their, their sheep. You know, one of the other translations, and, and actually in the book of Micah, it talks about that there was a tower, a watchtower. It was actually the flock, the, the shepherd's tower. And so these shepherds here were very special shepherds. Because in Bethlehem was the place where they would rear the sheep, the only place. They would rear the sheep for a specific reason. So these shepherds were specifically chosen to rear sheep for a specific reason. 
that reason was that there would be sacrificial lambs. Amen? So these weren't ordinary shepherds. These were guys who knew how to choose the best sheep without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Amen? And so Jesus was born in the same fields as the sacrificial lamb of God in the same fields that the lambs were born in. And you know, God allowed the shepherds to evidence, to be the first humans to evidence this birth. Do you know that the shepherds were the first people to evidence the birth of the sacrificial lambs? It's amazing. Amen. And you know, there's other stuff there. And uh, there's a whole sermon in this. I'll probably preach it next year. But, but uh, you know, what's amazing here is that the angels came and the angels worshipped. The angels announced this to the, the shepherds. And, so, and they started praising God. So the first entity to worship God was the angelic entity, was heaven itself. Amen? So the whole realm of worship, it is always... Heaven first and earth second. Hallelujah. So when you and I get together and worship the Lord, the first entity that joins, the first one is, they almost preempt what we're going to do, is heaven. Are you you getting a hold of that? He was put in a manger. Guys, where these shepherds reared these sheep, they reared them in a tower, in a tower. The tower was originally built by, for, for military purposes. And so they would look out over the valley of Bethlehem. And they would, we've actually been in that valley. And they would look and they would, they would protect the enemies coming in. Well, it was abandoned, and, and, but it was still there when the shepherds were there. And so the shepherds would use that tower to watch over the flock. Just like Jesus is our strong tower who watches over the flock. Isn't that incredible? But you know, this picture we've got is the wrong picture because we've been given a picture that he was born in a stable. kind of. It wasn't a little dirty place where animals were reared behind the inn. That is not the picture. That is not the reality. That is the picture we've been given. It is not the reality. Jesus was actually born in the place where these lambs that were preserved... The, the, the purity and the ceremonial function that they, these special shepherds had to go through meant that they had to keep a clean place for the lambs to be born. So Jesus wasn't born in some dingy manger where there was straw all over the place. This was a very clean place that he was born in, the very place where the sacrificial lambs were born that was overseen by the shepherds. That's the detail that God has when he does something that was worthy of his son to be born in that manger the manger was actually it was a, a, a like a it was a trough that had been they converted it for the birthing the lambs and so it was a feeding place and so the lamb of god the bread of life was actually born in a trough a feeding place And now the whole of humanity can go and feed from that same place. Isn't that exciting? The detail of God, how God does things. 
before the foundation of the world. You know when the shepherd says, let's go to Bethlehem, and they knew exactly where to... Did you know that? The, 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 the wise men had to seek him. But the shepherds knew where he would be born. <laughs> they knew exactly where that tower was. They used that tower. They knew exactly the birthing area. It was no mystery to the shepherds. But the wise men had to seek him. And so in a sense for us, as his sheep, we know exactly where to find Jesus. Amen? He's not a mystery to us. But like the wise men, we still have to seek him. We know where to find him, but we still have to seek him. I was just so blessed by that. I've written this actually for you in, in the next family matters. I've, I've finished the next family matters. I've written this for you because I want you to really meditate on this and get it into your spirit. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of Christmas from a different angle. Praise the Lord. God is good, isn't he? It's wonderful. Okay, now listen, I'm going to continue. Remember that guy, Elijah? Do you remember Elijah? We're going to go through this quick. But we, we actually want to have tea with you. We're not going to rush off. We're going to have tea. We will leave early, but we want to have tea with you. This guy, Elisha, where were we? We were in Kings, weren't we? So this Elisha guy was having a bit of a hard time. You know, Jezebel spoke death over him. If you weren't here last week, have to listen to that. Spoke, she, she spoke death over him, and, and he ran away. After calling down fire from heaven, after raising the dead, after doing incredible things, stop rain, stopped. Start rain, started, outrun chariots. This guy's a giant. He's an incredible man. Like he's Superman, and all those other guys rolled into one. He's the man. You know, the nation's talking about this guy. He's the man. Nobody does stuff like that, but he does it. But when he got this bad report from Jezebel, he starts to run. And I think you know the story. So I'm going to pick it up from last week. And what I want to talk about is what do we do when we're confronting the unknown? How do we respond to the unknown? There is four kinds of power, four kinds of power that have to operate to confront the unknown. And all of us are faced with the unknown at times. We don't know what's going to happen. There's four kinds of power that's got to operate when we're confronted with the unknown. The first one is most important. It's the power of perspective. Perspective. Perspective is is the ability to see things really as they are. And so, you know, when we're in Christ... We see things completely different. Is that right? We have a completely different perspective that we have when we're... I mean, you know, it's the glass half full or glass em- or half empty. You know, most people in the world see the glass half empty. We see the glass half full. Is that right? So our perspective then, how do we view life? Great question. We view life through the lens, through the eyes of Almighty God. So our perspective has to be right, especially when we're dealing with the unknown. Amen? So, Hebrews says, 11.1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So where is the evidence? God says, I've got the evidence. I've got the evidence of your faith. The evidence is everything I have written in here. Praise God. So there's always this tension between what is written and what you believe. And that's where your perception comes in. What is written, what has God said, and how you view what God has said in the light of your circumstances. 
So everything has got to be viewed through the Word of God. You cannot let circumstances come and just accept them. Because that's how the world operates. And you're not created to operate like that. So what you've got to do is you've got to say, okay, when a circumstance comes, or when an unknown, you're confronted with an unknown thing, you're confronted with a challenge, how am I going to respond? You have to respond through the eyes of the Word. How would God view this? What is God saying about this? And if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then what happens is, this is powerful. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then your words become the end result. God says, you've got to make a decision how you're going to overcome this situation. So your words then, everything becomes subject to your words, which is based on God's word. But you've got to have that right perception. How do you see it? So faith then is a master key to life. Faith is simply how you measure God's character. And we're going to elaborate on that the whole next year because that is a major, major key. Faith is simply how do we measure God's character? What is faith? It's believing, but what is believing? Well, it's believing, like I said on Friday night, that God is always a good God. God has always got your best interests at heart. God has got a detail. He's going to work the whole thing out even before Jesus came. St. David, born in Bethlehem. Jesus is coming. Bethlehem, the angels, special angels, sacrificial lamb, Baba, everything's planned before you even got here. So your life is an incredible unveiling mystery that's been designed in the mind and in the hands of Almighty God. Amen? So the, the devil actually, this is what the devil hates. He doesn't hate your faith so much. He hates the fact that you trust God. That's what he hates. He hates it, Gloria, that you will trust God, that you will pick yourself up like you do once again, like we all do, and say, maybe I don't understand this, maybe I'm going through this stuff, but I'm going to trust God one more time. In God I trust. In God I trust. See, the devil's not after your car. What is the devil going to do with your car? Going to drive down the road in your red limo? Go through the red light, and then the cop comes up and says, Excuse me, what is your name? He says, I'm the devil. Whose car? Is this your car? He said, No, that's Tom's car. I've always wanted Tom's car. The devil doesn't want my car. The devil doesn't want your car. The devil is after your faith. It's your faith. It's your trust in God. I know that God is God who will never let me down. He's not a man that he would lie, or the son of man that he would repent. If he says it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll bring it to pass. That's the God that I serve. Someone get remotely excited here. That's the God that I serve. The devil hates that. As soon as you start to speak that, as soon as you start to believe that, that this God will never, ever, ever, ever let you down. The devil says, man, they're going to build faith in that. Because when they start talking like that, there's going to be action that's going to follow that. And I can do nothing about that. They actually believe that God is a great God. They actually believe that God is a merciful God. They actually believe that God is a loving God. He's a kind God. He's a good, he's a faithful God. They actually believe that. They're speaking that, and therefore action will follow that. Things will come into manifestation, and the devil can do nothing about that. But as soon as you doubt, you're like the wave of the ocean, driven by the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he will receive anything of God. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the devil says, I love that. I love that unstableness. I love that when you're not sure whether God's going to come through or not. 
So we've got to build ourselves up on the righteousness of God. The right character of God. The un... I don't have words for it, man. But I think... Un, not flammable. <laughs> That's a good try, but Dennis. Okay, so, so, okay, so, okay, so, so the devil's a liar, man. We know that. Okay, let me get to this. So when faced face with the threat of the unknown, what do you do? You ask yourself, how does God see it? God says, I've written it. Yeah. Amen. So now, let's look at perspective from Elijah's pers- uh, perspective. <laughs> let's look at uh, the threat of, uh, of, uh, from God's perspective with Elijah. Jezebel's threat, she says, I'm going to kill you within 24 hours. By 24 hours, you will be dead. If you were here last week, that's the background to the story. But that threat was empty. Why? Because we said last week that he had run for, he had run for 24 hours and was still alive. If he thought about it, he could have thought, wait a minute, man. It was 24 hours ago and I'm still here. But he didn't. He kept running. So he ran past the deadline. And God says to him, basically, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you running from? He says, I'm running from Jezebel. And God says, she's not here. Where's Jezebel? In fact, God says, let let me give you some insight, man. She doesn't even know where you are. Where, Where do you think, Elijah, Jezebel is? And he says, I think she's just around the corner waiting for me. God says, you've been silly. I'm just making this bit up. You've been silly. Because she doesn't, she hasn't got a clue where you are. All this is fabricated in your mind. That is your wrong perspective of the situation. She has no idea where you are. See, the devil would like you to think he knows more about you than than he actually knows about you. The devil would like to put all this stuff in your mind that he's going to catch you. But he's just around the corner. He's waiting in the cupboard. You can smile. He's outside the window. Come on, man. He's, he doesn't even know where you are half the time. Sometimes we think, well, the devil's after my wife. Yep. Well, brother, I'm having a hard time. I'm going to get divorced. The devil's after my The devil's not after your wife. The devil's not after your husband. The devil's after your faith. Am I speaking to anybody here today? That's what he's after. If he can get you to waver, you're a goner. In fact, in the whole conversation, this is interesting. God did not even mention Jezebel in the conversation. That is, from God's perspective, that's how insignificant Jezebel actually was. God never even brought the subject up. Isn't that incredible? So it's a matter of perspective. Now, the second thing is the the power of preparation. The power of preparation is the second thing. What was all that wilderness stuff about when he ran away? Well, from Elijah's perspective, he was running from Jezebel. Watch this now. This is powerful. Remember, he, walked, he went in the wilderness, right? He ran and run and run and run and run. So from Elijah's perspective, he was running from Jezebel. From God's perspective, he was getting prepared for the second part of his ministry. Because I'll show you then, this was the second part of his ministry was coming up, which was incredible. So God's, God's dealing with the guy. He's running from something that doesn't exist. And, and God is dealing with him to get ready for the next part of his ministry. So with the right perspective, listen to this. With the right perspective, the stuff that you're going through is just preparation for greater ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It has to be. You, you would say, how do you know that? Because that's a biblical principle. If you can get through it, God will promote you. Can you see this now? You don't just get through stuff trusting in God, and then God says, well done, man. You know, that's just, that is good. God says, no, you go through that stuff. You've just got yourself ready for promotion. I will not leave you there because you've taken the tools in the Word of God. You've, ta- you've believed me, you've trusted me, and you've gone through this. Therefore, you're ready to go to the next level. It's pretty exciting. But Elijah, unfortunately, was still having a pity party. He was saying, look what I've done for you and all this happens. In fact, he was, he was so bad, God had to feed him. We, we covered that last week. And then in 1 Kings 19, I'll just read to you, God basically says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing? God says, you tell me what you've done for me. Let me tell you what I've done for you. Get out of that cave. Get out of that pity party and go minister for me because there's stuff to do. Go stand in the mountain because I've got stuff for you to do still. So when you're going through something, three things. This is a sermon on its own. Ask God grace to be sustained in it. That's what you need to do. Ask God for strength to go through it. And ask God for wisdom to get out of it. In other words, God has a plan to get you out of the cave. Amen? Only after he's accomplished his preparation for the next phase of your work. So you're not going to come out of the cave until, until he's done what he's got to do. How do you then exit the cave? With the right perspective. Hallelujah. The right perspective. God is in control, even though I'm going through this. See, what else are you going to do? What else am I going to do? Am I just going to have a pity party and just say, woe is me? You cannot do that. You've got to pick yourself up and say, God, I know this may not be the best right now. I know this is tough right now. But God, I'm going to turn this thing around trusting in you for the better. Amen. Amen. I'm going to get out of this cave and we are going to have a party together. If you know what I'm talking about. Amen. The third thing is the power of, uh, the power of propulsion. Propulsion is a force that takes you further. With the right perspective, God uses your problem you're going through to propel you to your next destination. In other words, there's not a single thing that you've gone through that is ever wasted in God. Did you know that? There's not one thing that you've gone through if you have the right perspective. If you have the wrong perspective, there will be more things that you've gone through that will add to the things you've gone through. Amen. But with the right perspective, see, the right perspective stops things in its track. Come on, man. The right perspective will, will stop the sickness from getting worse. The right perspective will get you free from that financial bondage that you're in. The right perspective. The wrong perspective, and it'll get worse. And God says, guys, I love you. There's nothing I can do about it. That is how powerful the will that God has given you and I and the tools that he's given us in his work. God propels prepared people into their purpose. You know, David, when David, you know, was confronted with Goliath, God always prepares and then propels. So when David was confronted with Goliath, he's, got a, he's good with the sling, right? 
But to be accurate with a sling, you need smooth stones. If he would have picked up any rough stones when he, when he released that, but he picked up smooth stones that the river had prepared, that God had ordained the river to prepare. Those stones were in, in that river for years getting prepared for David to pick them up. <laughs> God says, you think I've missed anything in Goliath is standing there like a big deal? You know? Meantime, the river's been running over those stones, getting them smooth, getting them perfect to put in the sling. The guy's a goner. It's been prepared before, before time. But it took faith still by David to pick them up and say, I can kill this guy using these stones. Do you know that he, had, he was a slingshot expert? In other words, he'd been trained. God had trained him. At some stage in his life, God must have said to him, I want you to pick up the slingshot and practice. So he practiced until he got good at it. And then he understood smooth, goes, fast. Amen. Rough goes slow. Everything was done. And yet sometimes we wonder and we mourn and we complain. And, and God is in control of your life, man. The last thing, I'll close with this. The power of preservation. This is, this is important. God fed Elijah. The meal lasted for 40 days. It's quite a long time. So what does this speak to us of? It may, God's saying through this, make sure that your word, God's word nourishes you. This is really important. That word lasted 40 days. God is saying, make sure the word nourishes you. Don't listen and not take in. Don't listen and not speak out. Amen? When, we, when we're truly nourished, it means that we absorb that. Jeremiah says, your words were found and I ate them, and they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Jeremiah says, I, your word, I know what I've got to do. I've got to it literally eat that word so that it becomes part of me. Amen? Otherwise, you're just going to have problems all your life. Just go to church, sing songs, speak happy when you can. But your problems will never go away. Pity parties don't work with God. We think they do. I've tried it. I can tell you, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. God says, sorry, I just don't do that. And Elijah said, look what I've done for you. Look what I've done. I'm the only guy who's actually stood and all these guys still reject you. What about me? And God said, that doesn't cut with me, man. It doesn't cut with me. That pity party stuff does not care because God's always viewing it a different way to us. We're basically saying, let me just die. I'm fed up. I've had enough. This is crazy. And God says, no, 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 no. If you see this thing the right way, this is not crazy. It's crazy for the devil if you get it right, because I've got something greater for you to go to. Someone help me here this morning like I'm preaching good. I've got something better for you to go. I've got something greater. Do you think I'm just going to let you die and rot here? Do you think when you're mourning like that, and I'm just going to leave you? God says, I can't do that. I'm God. I've got something great for you. Something powerful for you. 
But stop that whining. St- I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to whoever. Stop that whining. Stop that complaining. Stop that mourning. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it, God says. Because you're restricting yourself. You will keep yourself in that spot. And there's nothing I can do. So when, that, when it gets worse, you're going to complain more. And God says, there's nothing I can do. And you just keep, and God says, there's nothing. I, but as soon as you say, God, I trust you. God says, that I can do something with. Amen. That I can work with. I can work with that. Even, even in, the, in the pain and the anguish, even if it's just a, st- thank you, Father. I'm determined. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to trust you. Yeah. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. How many times I've encouraged myself in this country with that scripture? Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. He's a faithful God. God's meals, by the way, are usually timely. So be wise in terms of not being casual about a timely message. A timely message could save your life. A timely message can change your ministry. A timely message can affect your destiny. There's only nourishment in fresh food. I try and give you fresh food. I ask God, God, what is it you want me to say? Get daily manna. Don't gather leftovers from yesterday. Amen. Now, I'm going to close it with this. This is incredible. I think it's all incredible. Here's what God was getting at. God said to Elijah, Elijah at the end of all of this, you know, he's, he's still complaining, he's still going through stuff. And uh, basically what he says to him, he's saying, okay, Elijah, a few things I've got to tell you to do now. Get out of that cave, man, and go to the mountain. Go to the mountain. And so he goes up to the mountain, and there's a strong wind, there's an earthquake, there's a fire, and God is not in any of that. Then there's a small, still voice. Goes to the cave. God says, what are you doing still in this cave? Then God said to him, okay, now watch this. Here's what I want you to do. Because your perspective will affect the next generation. This is powerful. Your correct perspective will affect the next generation. I'm going to show it to you right now. Your correct perspective will affect your children. Come on, man. It'll affect everything around you. So God said to him, okay, you're complaining in your morning, but go to the mountain. I'm not in that fire, not in the earthquake. I'm not in the wind, but I'm in that still small voice. This is what I want you to do. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to get still, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. So then he said to him, go and anoint the king of Syria. That's in verse 15. Go and anoint the king of Israel. And then he says, go and anoint Elisha, the prophet that's going to come along and be in your place or take over from you. Now, I don't know. I can't say. I've never had anybody teach on this. I don't know if it was a result of Elijah's attitude, bad attitude, that caused God, and I don't know, that caused God to say, I'm going to raise up somebody in your place. His name's Elisha. Interesting thought. 
He said, it's the, the way that terminology is put, someone in your stead or someone in your place. I'm raising up someone else. It could have been because his attitude was just, woe is me. God, what about me? Why are you not doing something for me? Look what I've done for you. God says, you know what? Maybe I'll just get somebody else. We will not let that pass us by. We will not let that opportunity pass us by. We will press in to the things of God. We will do what God has ordained for us to do. And we will do it well. We will do it well. Because we're not going to lose out. We're not going to let someone else take over what God has destined for us. We'll pick up the smooth stones and we'll, we'll hit the enemy accurately and bring them down. Because we've got the right perspective. In Jesus' name. This has been another podcast from Sydney Life Church. For more teaching and resources, please head to our website, sydneylifechurch.com.